Good morning. Hey, my name is Kevin. I'm the groups and uh, disciple-making pastor here at Genesis Church. You know, for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the unseen war around us. And today we're in our fourth and final week. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And while we have to do battle against Satan and his demonic influence, and we have to battle the brokenness and the fallenness of this world, maybe our greatest battle in the unseen war is the battle within. Have you ever been determined to be loving and patient, but when the moment comes, you do the exact opposite and you're unloving and impatient? Maybe you're determined to be kind and compassionate towards someone, but when you get face-to-face, you end up being unkind and judgmental. Or maybe you're determined not to get angry and lose your temper anymore, and yet you just keep doing it. Or maybe you're determined, I'm not going to say anything negative or critical today or in this hour or in the next five minutes. And you can't seem to control your tongue. Does anybody, raise your hand. You ever feel that kind of struggle like that? Yeah, right? See, there's this unseen war taking place within us. And if you're anything like me, at times it feels like your flesh is gaining victory. Today, I want to show you four steps that you can take to live by the Holy Spirit and to win the battle within. Why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. If you're new today, you need to know that we teach, uh, every week we try to do our very best to teach a good, sound, biblical message. And we, ha- we have a variety of different messages from week to week. Some messages are motivational, kind of in nature, and, and some messages are maybe more encouraging and comforting. Uh, uh, we, we try to cover a variety of different topics. Today's message is going to feel a little bit different. It's going to feel a little bit more like a Bible study, okay? And, uh, and so the ideal setting would be if I could take all of you out to coffee... And we could sit down for about two hours and open our Bibles from one another, and we could just study together for the next couple of hours. That would be the ideal time to cover everything we're going to cover today. But unfortunately, I've only got about 30 minutes, so we're going to cover a lot of content. I'm going to go pretty quick. Uh, You need to know. uh, You can take notes as we follow, but you also know this this message will be up on the podcast uh, this week, so you could go back and listen to it. But it's going to feel a little bit more um, kind of like a Bible. That's why I got the table today. I thought that would be cool. All right. So before we go any further... Uh, Let me pray. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for your spirit and your word. And uh, Lord, I feel like today is a really important message. And these passages are so critically important and foundational for those of us who are Christ followers. So Lord Jesus, will will you just please open our eyes this morning? Father, would you shine your light into our hearts and fill us with the knowledge of your will? God, release Release wisdom and understanding here this morning, Lord. Would you guide my thoughts and my words, and would you use your word to accomplish your purposes? Lord, I ask you and invite your kingdom to come, and your will be be done right here in the next 30 minutes or so, Lord. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul was familiar with this internal battle, right? You may have seen this passage before, but in Romans chapter 7, here's what Paul says. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate... I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I like to refer to this as the doo-doo passage. Um, So Paul says in verse 17 that our source of struggle, I want you to notice this. Look at this passage, okay? We're going to study these uh, several passages together. Where's our source of struggle, according to Paul? 
So he describes this tension and this struggle and this battle that you and I feel every day. And then Paul tells us where it's coming from. He says it's sin living in me. He actually goes a little further to expand on it. In verse 18 he says, I know that good does not dwell in me. I know that good does not dwell in me. Wait, there you go. That's the next passage. Here we go. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. Paul says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Oh, man, this is the Apostle Paul. Aren't you encouraged that the Apostle Paul struggles with this internal battle just like we do? But here's what Paul says. So Paul says it's sin living in me. And here in verse 18, he says, here's, where the, here's, where, here's the problem. Here's the problem and the source of the battle. He says it's in my sinful nature. My sinful nature. The phrase sinful nature can also be translated flesh. And the Greek word for this uh, is the word, it's, it's actually spelled S-A-R-X. And I couldn't, I just could not figure out how to pronounce it. So like the Louisville, Kentucky version of me just says it's sarks. Now I know it's not that, that's not how you pronounce it, but most of you don't even know what it sounds like anyway. So it doesn't matter. So sarks has three basic meanings. Our skin, the flesh, the flesh can mean our skin. The flesh can mean uh, the whole human body. Or what Paul is referring to specifically in this context, when he's, Paul uses, or the NIV uses sinful nature instead of flesh, it, it's because the sarks is the sinful state of human beings. See, when Adam and Eve turned away from God, sin and death entered into the world. And we immediately began to see the dysfunction and brokenness that sin brought into the world. And Adam and Eve hide from God, and they're full of shame, and now they're relationally separated from God. And their intimate communion with God, that which they were created for, is now lost. And as the book of Genesis in the Old Testament rolls on and unfolds, you begin to see the story of how sin's dysfunction and destruction just wreak havoc in people's lives and throughout the world. And so now, the human race is now infected with this disease called sin and death. Paul says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam and Eve, and death through sin, that's wages of sin is death, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. All of you all are sinners. So, that's supposed to be funny. So we're all all sinners, right? We've all sinned. And because of our sinful nature, make sure you know this, every human is born spiritually dead. Every human is born spiritually dead. We're born physically alive, but spiritually dead. Now, the world will tell you you're born good, and everybody's good, and you're a good person. And, and the world's religion is basically this. You're born good. Be as good as you can throughout your life. Do as few bad things as possible. And at the end of your life, if you've done more good than bad, then you get to go to heaven. That's a lie from the enemy. That's not true. Paul says, the Bible says, Jesus says we are born spiritually dead because of the sin nature, the flesh of Adam and Eve. And that's bad news. But the good news is that Christ died for us. He paid for our sins and he canceled that debt. In Colossians 2.13, Paul says this. When you were dead in your sins, when you were dead in your sins, when you were born spiritually dead, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning your flesh hadn't been dealt with, meaning in your flesh you are born spiritually dead, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. But Jesus, on the cross, he took that sin away. He took that condemnation away. He nailed it to the cross. 
And so when a person believes in Jesus, God sends his Holy Spirit to come and live in us. Galatians 4, 6 says this, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. Last week, Ben referenced Ephesians 1, 13. When we believed, we were marked with him, marked with him in a seal, the, the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So here's the picture I want to make sure we get. The Christ follower now has two natures. We have our old nature, our sinful flesh, and our new nature, the Holy Spirit, Christ in us. And here's the bad part. These two natures are in conflict with each other. They're waging war. They're battling against other, each other. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's comparing the Spirit nature, the Christ in us, and our old nature, the flesh, the sinful nature. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, these two natures in you and me, so that you don't do whatever you want. Listen to what the apostle Peter says in his book, 1 Peter 2.11. Peter says this, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles in this world, meaning when you're born again, when you're born of Christ, spirit comes in you, you're no longer a citizen of the world, you're a citizen of heaven. He says, as foreigners and exiles in this broken and fallen world, abstain from sinful desires, which do what? Wage war against your soul. Folks, that's strong language. That's language that was intentionally chosen. We're not just, we don't have just some bad tendencies. We don't have just bad habits. Biblically speaking, our sinful nature is waging war against us. This is intense. One of the lies, one of the ways that Satan lies, one of the ways that Satan lies to us is that he tells us that our fleshly desires aren't very harmful and aren't really a big deal and they're not dangerous in any way. And actually, in some cases, the world actually celebrates and promotes the desires of the flesh, even going so far as telling us that our fleshly desires can be our source of truth. That's a lie. The desires of our flesh are deceitful, sinful, and they're waging war against our souls. And we have to take and understand that reality and have that reality affect our attitude towards our sin and our sin nature and our flesh. Back in 2002, pastor and author John Piper preached a message similar to the message I'm sharing with you today. And in that message, he said something, and I just want to quote him directly. Piper said this, Until you believe that life is war, that the stakes are your soul, you will probably just play at Christianity with no vigilance, no passion, and no wartime mindset. If that is where you are this morning, your position, your position is very precarious. The enemy has lulled you into sleep and into a peacetime mentality as if nothing serious is at stake. And God, in his mercy, has you here this morning and has this sermon appointed to wake you up and put you on a wartime footing. Folks, we're not just in a war, in an unseen war, battling against Satan and, and the world. There is a war that's taking place in your own soul. And it's of utmost importance that you take an attitude towards that sin nature, that flesh in you that reflects this reality. So the question is, how do we win this war? Well, we got to live by the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know about you. I, I've, been, I've been a Christ follower for 16 years, and um, 
I've listened to lots of passages on how to live by the Holy Spirit. But about five or six, year ago, six years ago, I got frustrated because no one ever actually showed me how. I always heard people say, you got to live by the Spirit. But no one, I always want to know, how do you do that? That's great. Thank you, Pastor. How do I practically do that this week? What does it look like? Okay, so I'm going to, this is not perfect, right? I'm going to do my very best to show you four specific steps that you can take to show you what it practically looks like to live by the Holy Spirit, okay? Number one, this is in your notes, you got to be in Christ. Seems pretty obvious, but let's start there. Number one, you have to be in Christ. Back in Romans 7, after sharing his internal battle with us, I want you to see how Paul responded to his sin and to his flesh. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. What a wretched man I am, he says. <laughs> he calls himself a wretched man. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will rescue me from this broken, sinful nature of mine? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul realizes that apart from Christ, in his sinful flesh, he's a horrible person. You ever feel like that? <laughs> I feel like that. I, I, I feel like that all the time. I think to myself, I am not a good person. I mean, apart from Christ, apart from the Spirit of Christ transforming me, I am not a good person, and neither are you. And, and we are... But, but notice... But notice he allows, but notice that Paul doesn't wallow in, his, in, in that reality. He doesn't allow that to lead him to depression or lead him to a, a, a broken place of thinking. No, Paul takes that and he says, listen, notice he allows his sin and his horrible, wretched self to lead him to give thanks and praise for Jesus. We are rescued from our sinful nature, from spiritual death, and delivered from our sins through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news. And so for the Christ follower, while we have this battle with our sin, we can know that in Christ we've been set free. And that leads us to give him thanks and praise for the cross. And we need to be reminded that, as he says, Paul goes on to say in Romans 8.1, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? Isn't that exciting and encouraging? Now, I'm sure, I'm sure most of you know that Billy Graham passed away um, last week. And like many of you, I have a really high respect for him and his ministry and how God used him. It's been a bit of an emotional week for me. I found myself multiple times tearing up, not because he died. He's with the Lord. The guy was 99. Um, I found myself getting emotional because God used Billy Graham in my own life. My brothers and I, at the time, non-Christians, attended Billy Graham's crusade in Louisville in June of 2001. And I don't remember anything specific from that night. Other than I attended. That's all I remember is that I attended. I texted my brother this week. I said, what do you remember from that? And he says, I don't remember one thing. And he says, I remember that he said um, that Graham made a line about uh, Christ died to set you free from your sin. As a result of attending the crusade, within two months, my older brother, who I was living with at the time, gave his life to Christ. And within six months, I gave my life to Christ. I'm thankful for Billy Graham's ministry. I'm sure many of you may have some stories of how he's, his ministry's impacted your life. Here's how Billy Graham defined being a Christian. I loved his definition of Christian. Oh, it's me. I keep forgetting. I'm in charge of the thing today. Um, 
If we were over coffee, we wouldn't have this problem. Uh, <laughs> Billy Graham said this, a Christian is a person who has had a personal encounter with Jesus, repented of their sin, and by faith trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Have you ever had a personal encounter with Jesus? Have you repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior? If you have not, why not? What are the obstacles that are keeping you from making that decision? Why not make today the day of salvation? After the service is over, if you're ready to give your life to Christ, you come up after the service. I'd love to talk to you and love to uh, walk you through that and pray with you. If you have given your life to Christ, and most of us in this room have, you can be encouraged that there's no condemnation in Christ. For the Apostle Paul, but, but there's no condemnation in Christ. But for the Apostle Paul, it wasn't enough just to be in Christ. Paul didn't see the Christian faith or following Jesus as an insurance policy. He got, he made the decision, he got his ticket to heaven, and now I'm going to live my life the way he, I want. No, that's not what Paul, that's not what Paul modeled for us. It's not what the New Testament says. Paul shows us, and he gives us the next step. He, he wants us to live like Christ. He wants us to live by the Holy Spirit. This is the next step. Second step to living by the Holy Spirit is to set your mind on what the Spirit desires. So number one, you got to be in Christ. you got to have the Holy Spirit in you. And number two, you have to set your mind on what the Spirit desires. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says this. Paul said, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We're going to do a little Bible study here. Just look at this passage. I want, you, I want to show you a couple things in this, okay? First, I want you to notice there are two ways to live. Folks, there's only two ways to live. Every human on the face of the earth is living one of these two ways. You're either living according to the flesh or you're living according to the Spirit. I want you to notice that both of them have desires. There's two types of desires, two kinds of desires. The flesh has desires and the Spirit has desires. Now, what determines whether a person is living according to the flesh or living according to the spirit? You got two natures, flesh and spirit. You got two sets of desires, flesh and spirit. What's the determining factor? Paul says, the key phrase, those who have their minds set. Those who have their minds set. It determines, the determination is where is your mindset? Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance to the spirit have their minds set. On what the Spirit desires. So here's my question for you today. Simple. Where's your mindset? Where is your mindset? On an average day, how would you rate your typical mindset? Like, let's, let's say a scale of one to ten. One being, uh, I'm living by the flesh. That's, you know, flesh is one, and ten is the Spirit. Like, on a typical day, how, where would you fall on that scale if you had to grade yourself? Or, how many, maybe we could do this. How many hours on the average day would you say you're thinking about and you're setting your mind on the desires or the things of the Spirit? I want to show you, I want to show you, I want to show you a simple tool that I think can be practically helpful for us. Uh, and again, this is in your notes. You'll see this. So we have two, there's two natures in us, each one of us, the Christ followers. Uh, we, we, we have the flesh and the Spirit, and uh, both of them have desires, Okay. And we have to set our minds on one of the two. Now, I want, you to, I want, to, pay, I want to show something else to you here. Back in Romans 8, 5, um, Paul uses the, the phrase uh, to set your minds on. Okay, right? Now, um, their mindset, the Greek word there is phroneo. Okay, the Greek word is phroneo. And here's what it means. It means, it means uh, to, uh, it's defined as to direct one's mind to a thing. To direct one's mind to a thing. This doesn't happen by accident, y'all. 
We can't take a passive attitude towards setting our minds on the desires of the Spirit. We, we need to take and we can take an intentional effort at directing our mind to the Spirit. We, we, we direct our minds to things all day long. The Bible, Paul is giving us a secret to living by the Holy Spirit. You want to know how to live by the Holy Spirit? Direct your mind to the things of the Spirit. How do we practically direct our minds and set our minds on what the Spirit desires? Biblical meditation. Biblical meditation. Now, before I unpack that a little bit, I want to take you back to Ephesians chapter 6. We've looked at this passage several times during this series. Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God. I want to show you in verse 17 what Paul says here after he says, put on the full armor of God, take the helmet of salvation, and then he says this, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the only offensive weapon in the armor of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. Now, I've always read this text, and I've immediately thought to myself, the Bible is my sword, right? So I think to myself, I read this passage, I'm like, yeah, this is my sword, you know? Now, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in Christian church, and so... Uh, I didn't go to church camp or anything. I hear that in church camps they have this, you know, game like this is my sword. Anybody ever play that game? Raise your hand. You're like, you raise, yeah, okay. Maybe, yeah, there you go. So uh, let's do it today. No, just kidding. Okay. Um, but so I've always read it as this is my sword. Maybe you've read it that way before. But this week I saw something I've never seen before. This is why you got to meditate on God's word. He just keeps showing you new revelation every time you keep studying the Bible. I've never seen this before. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Who does the sword belong to? It's the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is the Holy Spirit's sword. It's not my sword and your sword. Isn't that cool? The Amplified Bible translation says this, the sword that the Spirit wields, the sword that the Spirit wields is the Word of God. The, whole, the word of God is the Holy Spirit's sword. It belongs to him, which makes total sense because who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit did, right? 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy said, All scripture is God-breathed. So how do we know what the Spirit desires? You say, okay, I'm supposed to set my mind on the Spirit's desires. That's, what, that's how you live by the Spirit. Set your mind on what the Spirit desires. Well, how do I know what the Spirit desires? Read this book. The Holy Spirit is the person behind the words of Scripture. Setting our mind on what the Spirit desires is another way to say set your mind on the words of Scripture. Or in other words, biblical meditation. Someone once asked, I watched an interview this week of Billy Graham, and they asked him, Mr. Graham, how do you, what are your spiritual disciplines? And he says, well, the Bible says to meditate on God's word and live by the Spirit. So that's pretty much what I try to do. And the interviewer goes, like, what, thinking that's a simple answer, right? So the interviewer goes, well, what's, what does that meditating on the word look like for you? And he goes, well, he gives kind of a, Billy Graham had a kind of perplexed look. He said, well... I just spent an hour or two reading the Bible. Folks, it's not complicated. <laughs> Listen, Christians make it more complicated than it is. Open your Bible. Start reading it. Start studying it. Start meditating on it. So the, we so the word of God is the weapon in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's an interesting insight uh, back from that Ephesians 6, 17, Okay. He says, take the, take the helmet of the salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word that Paul uses here for word is not the word logos. It's the word rema. Now, what's the difference? Logos is God's written word. 
It's the written words of Scripture as presented in the Bible. Rhema is God's spoken or uttered word. So rhema, rhema are the specific words the Holy Spirit gives us out of and from the Logos. So we meditate on God's written word, Logos. And in any given situation, whether we're fighting the enemy or whether we're fighting our own flesh, then the Holy Spirit can bring us the exact passage of truth, rhema, that we need for victory. So do you see why meditating on the Logos is so important? When we meditate on the Logos, we can give the Holy Spirit what he needs to give us the, the, the rhema that we need. I, I want to... Chip Ingram has a quote in his book, The Invisible War. We've referenced this a couple times during our series. And uh, he's got a quote. It's pretty long, but it was so important. I want you to read this with me, okay? Chip Ingram says this. Are you beginning to get an idea of how serious studying and meditating on Scripture and renewing your mind are? This is not a matter of squeezing in that brief daily devotional with a chapter of Bible reading and thinking, okay, check, I've done that. No need to feel guilty now. Ingram writes, this is the substance of life. Over and over again, we get a clear biblical picture that God's word is a, is a life and death matter. Like a sword in the hand of a soldier meditating on God's word needs to become second nature for us. He says, if you're going to have the full armor of God in this invisible war, you will have to be a man or woman of the book. There's no way around it. And here's what he says. I love this line. He says, that's not a legalistic requirement any more than daily nutrition is. It's just the necessity of life. I want you to repeat after me. Really, please. (laughs) Say this. It's not a legalistic requirement. It's not a legalistic requirement. It's just the necessity of life. life. One more time, because listen, you got to get this. Because if you feel like it's a legalistic requirement, it's one of the things that Satan's using to block you from meditating on the word. So let's say it one more time. It's not a legalistic requirement. It's just the necessity of life. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he quoted Deuteronomy and he said, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is your life and your sustenance. The Holy Spirit needs this. You need this. This is food and drink and water. You've got to meditate on God's word. It's your weapon. It's your sustenance of life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, old pastor and author, wrote this. He says, the deceit, the lie of the devil consists of this, that he wishes to make man believe that he can live without God's word. Ooh, isn't that good? Doesn't that sound like the enemy? Oh, you don't really need to live. You don't really need God's word to live. Listen, all of us are in different places in our relationship with God. Okay, I realize that. A few of you in the room are non-Christians. That's okay. You would not consider yourself a Christ follower just yet, but you are interested, right? That's why you're coming to church. You want to learn more about Jesus. You want to learn more about God. And so you're coming to church, and, and you know God is doing something in your life. I have a challenge for you today. My challenge for you is this. Study the Bible. When I was 24 years old, I had never opened the Bible before in my life, and I know exactly what it feels like to open the Bible and feel so overwhelmed and unsure of where to read or what to do. But while I was searching for truth, while I was asking God to re- reveal himself to me, well, I, I, I opened the Bible and I studied it as best as I could. And God convicted me of my sin. I encountered Jesus. I learned my need for a savior and my life has never been the same since. I want to challenge you, even if you're a non-Christian, study God's word. Number two, uh, a second group of people. There are a few of you here in the room who are new Christians. 
Meaning this, maybe you've just recently started following Christ. Uh, Maybe it's been for a couple months or even just for a couple of years. You're still new at following Christ. My challenge for you is this. Make the decision this morning. Decide in your heart that you are going to be a man or woman of the word and you're going to spend your life meditating on God's word. Some of you are growing in fruitful Christians and you are meditating on God's word and you have tasted it and seen that it is good and you're like, oh, you, you're, here's what you're doing right now today. So far this morning, you're going, oh, I hope people are listening. Aren't you? Because you're going, oh, it, it is so good. It's changed my life. You're going, yes, yes. And today's message so far has been nothing but encouragement for you because you know how necessary it is to meditate on God's word in order to live by the Holy Spirit. My challenge for you is this. Go make some disciples. Go teach other Christians how to meditate on God's word. Now, some of you in this room, you consider yourself a Christ follower, and you'd say you've been following Christ for many years, maybe several years, but you are not actively studying the Bible in any way. Maybe it's something you used to do, but you've gotten away from it, or maybe you've just never really studied the Bible. And the only time you really set your mind on the word and the desires of the spirit are when you come to church here at Genesis on Sunday mornings. Listen, each week we do our best to share a biblical message in about 30 minutes. I usually take 40. There are 52 weeks a year. There are 52 weeks a year. And that means if you come to church every week, you're getting about 25 hours of Bible teaching. And if if you're not studying the Bible, then you're only getting about 25 hours of Bible teaching in a year. Now, the average church goal in America only comes twice a month. So now you're down to about 12 or 13 hours of Bible teaching a year. Listen to me. Think about this. The average American spends approximately four hours every day watching TV or online. That's 1,400 hours a year. Think with, think, think with me, okay? Just do the logic. If the only time you're setting your mind on the Spirit and your only exposure to God's Word is listening to our messages here on Sundays twice a month, that means you're setting your mind on the Spirit 12, 13, let's say 14 hours a year, And if you're like most Americans, you're setting your mind on TV and Internet 1,400 hours a year. 14 versus 1,400. If that describes you, I want to say something to you, and I say this with as much compassion and love and grace as I possibly can. You may consider yourself a Christ follower, but you are being discipled by the world, and you are living by the flesh, and you're not going to, you have little to no chance. God's sovereign, so he can do what he wants. But you have little to no chance at bearing any fruit in your life and bringing God glory with your life. And when you stand before Jesus, and I say this, I, I, I say this as a shepherd who's just trying to, trying to get a sheep to wake up and listen, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to wag my finger at you. I'm not trying to condemn you. Listen, when you stand before Jesus, I promise you, you're going to regret how you lived your life. We've got to study the Bible. We've got to meditate on God's word. Billy Graham said this. I heard this this week. Graham said, I don't care who you are. You cannot live a victorious Christian life if you neglect studying the Bible. If you don't believe me, trust him. So here's a few specific specific steps that you can take this week. First, two years ago, we did a series called Eat the Scroll. And in that series, we addressed biblical meditation. You may want to consider listening to that series on our podcast. It's in February of 2016. Second, one of the tools that we've been using here at Genesis is a really simple tool called the SOAPS Bible Study Method. Okay? It's a simple tool designed to help you develop the skill and pattern of meditating on the scriptures. I actually have a 10-day SOAPS study 
out, uh, one page out on the info hub today. You can pick that up on your way out the door and you can sit down. It's very self-explanatory. It's very simple. You can do that this afternoon. Third, you need to pray and ask God to increase your hunger for his word. You need to ask him to help you set your mind on the spirit's desires. You're gonna take, it's gonna take the power of God to walk with God. Okay, so there are four steps to walking by the Spirit. Number one, you must be in Christ. Let's look back at our notes. Number two, you must set your mind on what the Spirit desires through biblical meditation. And you can't just study the Bible, though, right? It's not just enough to study the Bible. You also have to do what it says, and that leads to step number three. You have to say yes to the... Oh, wait, this is my thing. You have to say yes to the Spirit and um, no to the flesh. Here we go, right? Boom. I missed this one last time. You have to say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh. We walk by the Spirit. Listen, we walk by the Spirit by walking in obedience to God's Word. We have to say yes to the Spirit and no to the sin of our flesh. In fact, Paul says we have to crucify our flesh. That's what Paul said. In fact, he says this over and over again in all of his letters. I wanted to, I wanted to read them all to you, but I thought, well, I don't have time to do that. And so I'm just going to show you one example. I'm going to read this. You just listen. And this is, in, this is on the handout uh, in the Info Hub, and so you could, you could study this for your own. But it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. Listen as I read. Paul says this, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are, not, you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he's going to go on and tell us what the desires and fruit of the, spirit, uh, fruit of the flesh is. The acts of the flesh, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, Paul says, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, listen, here's the desires of the flesh. It's sinful. It's evil. They're deceitful. Then he goes on and says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Here we go. Here we go. Verse 24, Galatians 5, 24. Write it down. Look it up for yourself. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's saying, what, this is what John Piper said. We've got to make war against our flesh and sin. We've got to take sin seriously. We've got to get it out of our life. And he goes on in verse 25. It, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit and let's not become conceited. Basically, he's saying, listen, you got to be in Christ. you got to set your mind on the desires of the Spirit. And then you got to say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh. you got to live in obedience to the Spirit and to the Word. In Ephesians 4, Paul says we must take off the old and put on the new. you got to take off the old nature, put on the new nature. It's an ongoing process. Now, let's say we do sin, okay? Let's say, let's say we do sin. What are, we, what are we supposed to do with sin? Because we can't expect to never sin again. That's not a realistic biblical expectation. That's not the kind of theology I'm teaching here. Uh, we're going to sin. However, I have heard, have heard this said, and I like this quote. While we will never be sinless, we should sin less and less and less as we grow and mature in Christ throughout the years. If you find yourself having just sinned and you're living in the flesh, how do you get back to living by the Holy Spirit? Well, point number four, uh, where are we? Take the next step the Spirit desires. You just take the next step the Spirit desires. The Bible calls this repentance. In order to live by the Holy Spirit, we have to develop a lifestyle of repentance. The lifestyle of repentance. So look at that. Uh, so the flesh has desires. When you act on that flesh, it's called sin. When you act on uh, the Spirit's desires, it's called righteousness. We have a choice to make here. This is what I'm trying to say. This is what I'm trying to wake you up to, Right? is we have a role to play. This is our responsibility. God will not do our part for us. 
This is our part. We have to choose to live by the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us no condemnation in Christ. But we've got to live it out. And he wants us to. And when we do sin, like Paul in Romans 7, we can give thanks and praise to God for rescuing us. But our, and our sin should lead us to give thanks and praise uh, for the cross and, and say, thank you, Lord, for paying for my sin, that, that no longer you count them against me. But we don't stop with thanks and praise. We can learn to live by the Spirit. And we simply, here, here's how we do it. We simply take the next step the Spirit desires. So let me tell you just kind of what that looks like, really simply. If I speak harshly to my kids and I hurt them with my emotions, with anger, I've sinned against them. What's the next step the Spirit desires in that moment? It's easy. I'm living in sin, right? I just went in, and I've lost my patience. I'm impatient with my kids, and I've yelled at them. I've raised my voice, and I've been har- spoken harshly to them, and I've used my anger basically to, to abuse them. I use my anger, and I hurt them with my anger and my emotions and my words. That's sin, by the way, in, in case some of you dads didn't know that. Uh, and I, and I, I, it's a struggle of mine, right? Oh, the very thing I don't want to do, I just did. Now, I'm living in sin. I'm living in the flesh. The flesh just did all that in me. Now, how do I get over to living by the Spirit? I take the next step the Spirit desires, which would be what? Humble myself, go before them, ask them for forgiveness, and repent of my sin. And so then I, I, I say, hey, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. I'm going to change my tone. I'm going to change my words. I'm going to change my emotions. And I'm coming to you with humility now. I'm asking you, you should ask your kids for forgiveness. If you sin against your kids, parents, you need to ask them for forgiveness. That's called, that's what the spirit desires. And then you start, and I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be compassionate, right? See, now, I may be, now, after that, I may have to deal with the consequences of my sin because that's just real life. But now in that moment, I'm living by the spirit because I'm doing what the spirit desires in that moment. That's how you go from living by the flesh to living by the spirit. If you aren't living a lifestyle of repentance, then probably what's happening is you're developing a pattern of living by the flesh or living by the spirit. So there's the desires of the flesh. You act on them. It's called sin. And if you don't have repentance in your life, if if repentance isn't a priority for you in your life, of repenting of sin, getting it off, taking off the old, then what's happening is you're living by the flesh. It's just this pattern of sin in your life. And this is also spiritual strongholds, right? And the way you break a stronghold is through repentance, and so, uh, but if you're living by the Spirit's desires, you're acting in righteousness, and you have a pattern in your life of, of following the Spirit's desires and doing what God's Word asks you to do, then you're living by the Spirit. Now, what's the, what's the result if we don't do this? What's the result if we don't do this? Romans 8. Go back to Paul. He says, those who live in accordance with the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is nice and loud. Ooh, ooh. Does it sound like he's watering that down? Does he think, does does it sound like he has a lazy attitude towards sin, a passive sin? No. He says, no, your flesh leads to death. And he says, but the mind governed by the spirit is what? Life and peace, right? And so this is the pattern. This is the most simple pattern I can give you of what it looks like to live by the spirit and live by the flesh. Now, the word for death that Paul uses in Romans 8 is the word thanatos, and thanatos can mean a physical death. It can also mean a spiritual death, meaning you go to hell. But here's what it also means. It also means a miserable life, a deathly life. And what I've learned is when I live by the flesh, I'm miserable. Some of you don't even realize it, but if you're living a miserable life and may not be the only reason, but it, uh, 
major reason is because you're living by the flesh. And no one's ever taught you how to live by the spirit. And no one's ever showed you these passages. And you've never realized, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was supposed to take it this seriously. Well, by the grace of God, you're here this morning. And God's trying to teach you how to not live by the flesh and live a miserable, deathly life. But to live a life that brings joy and peace. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Listen, when we live by the flesh, it destroys. It destroys our lives. It destroys our families and our friends and our neighbors. And it's so subtle. It is so subtle. Sometimes it's not so subtle. But then Paul reminds us, this is, that's discouraging, Right? Here's the encouraging reality. Here's what I'm trying to say today. But Paul goes on in Galatians chapter 6, 8, and he says, but whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Why is this important? Okay, so this was the Bible study. All right, see, we're, we're pretty much done. So we're like at a coffee. We wouldn't like, I wouldn't tell big, you know, if we were having coffee, I'd be like, all right, let's go. Let's get out of here. Uh, so here's how I'm going to end this. Really simply, um, two things. One, let's remember the, the pattern here, Okay. Step one is to be in Christ. Step two is to set your mind on the desires of the Spirit through biblical meditation. You've got to get in God's Word so you can discern and learn what the Spirit desires are. And as you study and meditate on the Logos, the Holy Spirit, in any specific situation, as you're battling either the enemy and demonic influence or more often than not, your own flesh, the Holy Spirit will give you the rhema, the specific words you need to defeat the flesh in that moment. And if we develop a pattern of this over and over again, we're living by the Spirit. And when we sin, when we mess up, and we live by the flesh, that's okay. No condemnation in Christ. What do we do? We take the next step the Spirit desires because we want to walk by the Spirit. And the next step the Spirit desires usually has something to do with it. It's, it's always repentance. Repenting and turning from that sin and, and living out what the Bible says is the Spirit's desires. And if we do that, we're going to experience life and peace. And we're going to experience not just life and peace both here in this life, but we're going to stand before the Lord and be confident and unashamed about how we lived our life. And can you imagine if we as a church family get this? I so desperately want us to get this. You know why? For our children. We have 150 like a thousand kids over there. <laughs> and here's the thing. Listen. You reproduce who you are. So if you live your life by the flesh, your kids aren't going to know any different. Now God's sovereignty, he can come in and he can help them. He can do for them what, what you, you know. But if we will live by the Spirit, if we'll be a church family that sets our minds on the desires of the Spirit, that gets hungry for God's Word, that meditates on God's Word, that feeds ourselves on God's Word, that, that sets our minds on living in obedience to God's Word and to His Spirit, and we, we learn to live lifestyles of repentance. Can you imagine what kind of kids we're going to raise up? And they're going to need it. They're going to need it. If for nothing else, do this, let's do this for our children, for the children of this church. i got one more passage I want to... I'll show you. Listen to what Paul says. He goes on in Romans 8, right? Continuing in Romans 8, here's what Paul says. He says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's almost like Paul has just kind of given us the very lesson I gave you. And then Paul says, now listen, here's why you need to get this. 
because you're God's child. And this is the way God's children live because your father loves you. He's not angry at you. He's not angry with you. He's saying, this is how I want you to live. You can live like Christ by living according to the Spirit. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our sin and our flesh, oh, you demonstrated your love for us in this, that you sent Christ Jesus. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that you rescued us and you've redeemed us from our sin and you've delivered us and that we are no longer, there's no condemnation for those who sin Christ Jesus. But God, you have so much planned for us. You want us to learn how to live by the Holy Spirit. God, would you teach our church family how to live by the Holy Spirit? Would you inspire our hearts to seek your face? Would you ignite our hearts, ignite in us a fire for your word, God? And may we live by your spirit, Lord. May we bear much fruit. You are the one who gets all the credit and glory. You are the one who bears the fruit in us and through us. And Lord, we're just asking you to bear lots of fruit in us, fruit that will bring you glory, Jesus. Glorify your name, Jesus, in our lives and in our families, in our homes, in this church, in this community. Glorify the name of Jesus. Amen.